Hello! And welcome back to On Guard Cigar Salon. I'm Mr. Christopher. I'm Ray Bannon. I'm Gorilla Thornton. And I'm the Cigar Pig. And I'm Am. And we're four kinky leather guys who sit around and spill the tea about our community. This episode, we're going to talk about titles and title holders. And it's something that happens in our community. We have these leather contests. They're both local, regional, and national, and international. Who's gone to a leather contest here? Who's a title holder here? We got three. You never ran for a title? Never. No, I never ran for a title either. So we're gonna sit back and listen to you guys discuss. <laughs> and keep in mind, these are our personal opinions. So please don't come for us at all. Pageant, 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 pageant. <laughs> is it a leather pageant? What is it? What is, oh. Let's get into the history. What is running for a contest mean? Where, where, where did it begin? Uh, I think it began really with International Mr. Leather. That's my roots. So we're talking late 70s and that would have been the first International Mr. Leather contest. It was certainly the first time I was exposed to a contest of any kind, and it, it kind of emanated from Chuck Renslow in the Gold Coast and then wanting to have something kind of bigger, and that's how it all happened. And Graylin, what title did you win? I'm an International Mr. Drummer, 93. Now, Mr. Drummer was a whole nother contest system. Yeah, correct? it was based on Drummer Magazine and everything that Drummer Magazine represented, which was more the hardcore fetish BDSM scene. Yeah, and I came, I turned of age and started working for Drummer Magazine, so I was in charge of running the 92 and 93 contests, in mm -hmm. which you won. Yeah. No, no help from me. <laughs> <laughs> no help from race. No help from you. Yeah, I was one of his judges when yeah. he won. But it confused me because I just assumed that the drummer contest went into the Mr. International contest. Oh. So those two having competing contests was confusing for me as a 21 year old. And think about it, back then there was International Mr. Leather and there was International Mr. Drummer. Right. Did I say that right? Right. I did it. And really, for a while, that's all there was. I mean, there were feeder contests into that, but that was, they were the two systems. And you just said that confused you. Imagine about today with all the contests oh, we have today. Yeah. yeah. And also to be clear, we're going to talk about the male centric contests. Yeah. There's many other contests, but we are most knowledgeable in the male centric mm. contests. Um, so how, why did you run for a contest? Well, I ran for a contest because I had been working in the Northern California uh, leather scene, mainly in the South Bay. And it was just a progression of, of, it was just a progression of my life. I was uh, hanging around people who were title holders. I knew uh, Alan Selvey very well, Mr. Marcus very well, Vern Stewart, and these, uh, Daddy Philip Turner, and these people just sort of pushed me in that direction. Hmm. Audrey Joseph, you know, they Audrey. just, they yeah, just pushed Audrey. me there, and I just went along with it. Okay. Can we talk about other reasons people run for titles, though? Like, yeah, dude, were you also pushed into a race because you ran for a title? <laughs> <laughs> so, I I often tell this story because I think it's important that people realize that people enter contests for different reasons. My partner and I, Mike Pierce, uh, were at a bar where the Southern California Master and Slave contest was being run, and 
we were just audience members and we got, I'll say harangued by a few people to get up on stage, get up on stage, run for this. And there were other contestants. It wasn't like they needed the extra contestants. And finally we jumped on stage and we ended up winning it. So I just think that that's really important to hear that some people go at it for a very specific reason and sometimes it's happenstance. So it wasn't premeditated no. before you went to the bar? Not at all. And were most of these contests at bars? And was it to draw people into the bars? Was it entertainment or was it community? See, I think it was entertainment because it started out as entertainment. It didn't become a community activist vehicle until AIDS hit. Right. And, and that's when title holders started to, to raise money. Because a lot of the titles were also bars, like right. Powerhouse yep. Bar and, and Eagle. 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 A lot of eagle. Eagle. Eagles. Eagles. Eagle. <laughs> the Eagle, I mean, the Eagle contest, it was five weeks long because wow. they did feeders for the Eagle contest. And then the, the top people in the feeders ran for Mr. Eagle. Then Mr. Eagle ran for Mr. San Francisco. Yeah. So, yes, exactly. So, being Mr. Eagle was a really big deal back in the day. Sure. Well, you know, being somebody who was not in the system at all, but a participant as an audience member, you know, the overriding view we always thought of it was it was a reward and recognition within our community. And a lot of times, and I think mostly because I was an AIDS practitioner, um, they did donate money to us. So, we always perceived it as these are people who work in the community. They've done significant things. And like any other community, there's a way to reward them and recognize them by giving them a title. But after listening to you guys, there were many other feeds than just that. That was also why I didn't run for one. A, I yeah. thought I was too young, because everyone on stage I saw were men, like manly men. <laughs> we're the same age. I know, but <laughs> you were more manly than me. What do you want? <laughs> so I thought I was just like this blonde-haired tweet, and I thought they were also more involved in the community yeah. than what I was. Even though I worked at Drummer Magazine, and it was probably doing way more, uh, I, I felt I didn't go to all the community organization things, and I thought the people who were title holders were huge community leaders, right. and I didn't feel like I fit that bill. And do you think most title holders are community leaders? <laughs> okay, there's a big. Uh, yeah. So no. we always joke about getting canceled. Um, no, I don't think. I don't even think most leather titles are community leaders. Yeah. I think we are lucky that some of the title holders, like Graylin, right, become amazing community leaders and might have already been community leaders at the you know before they even enter the contest, but. Some rise to it and some just do their year and we don't hear from them again. And I happen to be okay with that. I don't think they have to become community leaders. They do what the contest says they're supposed to do within the sort of rules and guidelines that the producer sets. But apart from that, I think it's really up to them. Sometimes the community is trying to say, no, you should do this. And I think they should do exactly what they want to do as long as it's within the producer's guidelines. Mm. One of the things that the, the pig brought up though is that there was a reward system. And I think early on it was. I mean, mm -hmm. people weren't expected to be leaders, but you were expected to be an activist and very active. You could not even turn in an application if people didn't know who you were and your basic leather resume. 
right? You had to have been working all along, or they wouldn't even let you on the stage. And, and I'm not joking about that. Oh, yeah, no, I remember that. And that's why I didn't do it. Because I was like, I have no resume. Nobody knows who the fuck I am. Right. So. And when people did their speeches, they always talked about what they had done. Yes. You know, that's, yes. and we would say, what the they were audience. going to do, and you knew that they're going to because they had done things already. And my speech would be, I just have sex. I have leather sex. Which is a big contributor. Honestly, as someone who judged a lot of contests, especially early, there was a bias in the sense that we wanted players to win. We wanted people that we knew were actively kinky leathermen who um, this really was part of their life. They were not just putting the leather on and running for the contest just to win a contest. And so we really did kind of try to discern, are they really players or not? Are they really part of the community from a sexual erotic point of view? That was important to us and, back then. And, and we'll get to judging in just a little bit, but I also want to hear from our youngest yeah. member, Anne. Oh, I can start Scott judging. Older. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. Answer stuff. Your pants have ash on them. <laughs> no, I, I love the conversation of title holders. As someone who's never won a title but was appointed, like I've run for, technically back in my day, Back in my day, uh, I ran for a puppy contest back in 2013, maybe about 10 years ago. I yeah, you're so old. Uh, thanks, and and lost <laughs> to someone who was more active in the community back then. Ah. But so many people come to the the title holder circuit doing or coming from so many different backgrounds. Some people do it so they can be more involved. Some people do it because they are involved and want that title so that they can show that they're you know, active. Some people do it just to say, hey, I'm a title holder, I look I'm important, which is not the best reason, but they do it that way. Um, and for me, I've never won a damn thing, but I, I didn't do the title because I needed to do it. I did it because somebody asked me if I would do it for Team Friendly, Mr. Friendly back then. And I had a great time. I got to travel a little bit. I got to meet so many people. I got to talk and tell stories and, and help like, you know, advocate for prep and HIV research and raise money for that. And that's why I did it. I mean, I also did it for the experience of IML. And have any of you been on the IML stage? Right? No. no oh, right. You were just me. You were a judge. I was a judge. Yeah. I was a judge. Oh. And we'll get into the oh, judging. We'll get into judging, because girl. <laughs> <laughs> but I, will, I will finish off saying like, the, the title experience is not for everyone. And and also, you learn a whole lot about yourself doing it. Like, you can't just go into it because, oh my god, this is going to be fun, and I just want a title. No, you have to be like, you have to have a, a vision, and you have to have something you're going to do with the title, hopefully, because that's the questions they ask you in the judging. Segue to judging. Well, but you actually not yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but let's talk about the experience of running, because there is a lot that's expected, especially if there's this spotlight that's put upon you. And sometimes people aren't prepared for that. Um, and have you ever heard of drama in the title holder? Mm -hmm. Drama, as what's as that? Drama. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the other reason I never ran, is every year there was so much drama around it, whether someone thought they were poorly treated, poorly judged, uh, it was a setup, uh, all sorts of dramas. Um, yeah, there is drama in the leather scene. I happen to think that a lot of the drama that happens in the leather scene, is, or pardon, the leather contest scene, is because it is the most high-profile aspect of what our scene does. Okay. And I think that's why the drama ensues, because it's what we see. It's the, that outside face of the scene. 
But you know, a lot of the contests, they're structured differently. Because with Mr. Drummer, because it was in San Francisco during Folsom, you were expected to be there from the Sunday before Folsom um, all through the week to the following Sunday. So we were pretty much sequestered in our hotel and only going to events that had to do with the contest itself. So they would take us to the bar, let us in the bar, put us back on the bus, take us back to the hotel and tell us not to go anyplace. Some people did, I didn't. But you know, that that's the way it was. But Drummer had, had a fantasy element to it that most of the contests do not. And you were judged on that fantasy. And the fantasy had to represent some some sort of sexuality. And I missed that part because I liked the drummer contest better because they it was very entertaining because the yes. audience got to see mm -hmm. these hot guys doing some fantasy on the stage. Right. And that was very fun for me. Well, so and, and in a way, it's kind of like RuPaul's Drag Race, to draw a parallel for the younger generation. Like, you are sequestered, you're bussed around in some cases, but almost always there's multiple parts to the contest. You have, you know, a talent portion or a scene. You have, like, a pop question. You have multiple looks. Leather, lace, jockstrap. What do they call it? Like, asses? No, what's the... what's um, Excellent At IML, that's what they call it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Excellent It's where you're showing off the pecs and the personality. But like it is a pressure cooker in that way, and so everyone reacts differently. Some people have a fun time, and they're just there to have a good time and chill. Other people, like the amount of drama that I about me that I had nothing to do with or was not even involved with when running for IML was hilarious. I had people spreading rumors that I was HIV positive because I had a, a an HIV related title. I'm still HIV negative. I had someone literally talk to the judges of IML the second I left a group of people conversing, talking about how I was so rude and mean to them. Didn't know the person at all. Like, the, people come yeah. from all sorts of different angles, and we say all that to be like, have fun if you're gonna run for a title. Have a, have a goal or something you wanna do with it, and if that's have fun and have tons of sex and be a positive influence, that's great. If that means starting a YouTube channel, great. If that means starting, like, some sort of charity, awesome, but like, Go into it with a plan and, and know who you are or continue to learn who you are. Let's talk about that pressure cooker situation, though, because I think that's where a lot of the drama does occur. You've got these guys competing and in a very tight time frame, coming from all walks of life, um, judging each other. On <laughs> what's appropriate, Cutting what's not, costumes. you know, <laughs> are your leather boots shined enough, are they new enough, are they old enough? Um, well, I had a look from a, a, a tailor local to the city the week before IML, he's like, I can't do it. And I was like, I've already paid you, girl, like, this was two months ago. He's like, I just can't. And it's like, okay, so I like, scramble for a look. Like, it is, it's very RuPaul in that way, like... But you know, that kind of drama happens in everything. Yes. I just want to say, it's not just the leather community. I think it's good to talk about it here. But everything you're describing happens in the business world. Worse, competition, you know, between business people. Every, you know, beauty pageant that you hear in the hetero world. Oh my God, look at Nancy Kerrigan. Something yeah. like broke her knee. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> it's very and we laugh. Is it healthy, though? Are these contests healthy for us? And, and are they putting out, what is the goal now? Are they putting out the leaders that we want? Well, you know, I, I, I just want to say, you know, um, with the difference, another difference between drama, 
drummer, drama, and IML <laughs> is that uh, drummer had, um, you had to win a local title, then you could run for the um, regional title, and oh. then you could run for the international. So at the national level, international level, there were 24 contestants all representing a region, and that would be a leather sir and leather boy, or a drummer and drummer boy. So really, you had a very small class of people, as opposed to an IML, where you have 70 people. Yeah. And you can't get 70 gay people together and not have some drama. Yeah, well, <laughs> and, and let's talk about that. That sounds expensive. So that sounds like a lot of time and cost. Who's paying for all this? <laughs> you are. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> Most. Yeah. The, the, the little secret in the contest world is that the contestants typically pay for most of what they do with their title. Wow. Often the producers have a fund, sometimes they raise money for them, but I can give an example of somebody back in the 80s who won IML, I'm not gonna even name a name, but dropped about 25 grand of their own money Wow. during that year, doing a lot of stuff, admittedly. And I bet it's a lot more now. I'm sure it's a lot more now. And um, now. it is expensive. And I don't think that people understand that these title holders are being held to a standard to show up at every bottle opening. Yeah. You know, and often they have to pay their, spend their own money to do that, and nobody appreciates that. Yeah. I, I mean, not, not enough people appreciate it. So that brings up what are the expectations of a title holder? What are they supposed to do, obligated to do? I think that's up to the producer of the contest. Yes. You know, like if when I was producing Mr. San Diego Leather, it was spelled out in advance what they were supposed to do, and we had quarterly check-ins. But that was because we were paying for a lot of the things that they did, mm. um, and that's how I think it should be. But if you have an, another contest who just wants you to represent their bar and look good on their poster, they're not going to pay for anything that you're doing. Right. Yeah. Mm. yeah, and and every contest has a different set of expectations. Um, I don't think I'm giving away any secret that back when I judged IML, we were told that the only obligation the winner had, the only absolute obligation, was to show up next year and judge. Really? That's yes. all? That was yeah. the only, oh, they judged the following they year? Judged, they always judged the next year. They, they, they sat as, as one of the judges. And there was a, I don't know if it was unspoken or, or written down anywhere, but don't embarrass the title. You know, yeah, don't, right. don't be an asshole in, pu asshole in public. But to the best of my knowledge, that was the only requirement. So each IML, to use just one contest, couldn't make it their own. Yeah. Some did a lot of charity work. Some traveled and did education stuff. Some did, they kind of made it their own, which I kind of like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, can I ask if there's a progression? Did you then go and compete for IML? When, no. And did, was that a personal decision? Yeah. or No, it, because I had won an international title. Oh, so okay. I went run for another, but I, yeah, I ran for uh, Mr. Santa Clara and I took first runner up. And that qualified me for the Northern California Drummer Contest. But it was actually Sky Renfro, who was one of the judges at the time, who said to me, you shouldn't be running for Mr. Santa Clara. You should be running for drummer. You're more of a drummer. And I went that route because of that. Mm. Well, and it's more than that. Nowadays, I think, like, people actually have to have sponsors. And, like, you literally have to have a list of people that are supporting you to show that you have, like, a good faith, whether it's a title, a person, an organization, or maybe even, like, oh, I don't know, like, a company that exists in the leather world that does certain things like, you know, let the dice get cut.
So Leather Daddy Skin Company is a plant-based skincare line with a kinky twist. Leather, scotch, vanilla, and 18 erotic spices are bound to get the blood flowing, getting you ready to dominate your day. If you use offer code ONGUARD, you'll get 10% off your order. So thank you, Leather Daddy Skin Care, for sponsoring us every episode. So the other thing about the drummer contest, it, when did that end? Did that end in like, I feel like 99? Yes. Yeah? Yeah, 99. And that was kind of the beginning of the internet too. So I think that um, the drummer contest served a purpose because it was published in Drummer Magazine and Drummer Magazine was the magazine all Leatherman read, right? right. Right. And that's why I was so confused was the international contest went through Drummer Magazine too. So there's a lot of overlap between title holders on the cover of Drummer Magazine. Yeah. Right? Did you ever have to compete with that for well, your cover? Well, <laughs> I didn't have to compete for my cover. Um, because as a, as a Mr. Drummer, you were expected to be on the cover of Drummer Magazine. Yep. And you had to do a centerfold, and you had to write an article about your activism uh, surrounding that centerfold. So wow, how it much did I pay you for that? <laughs> I got I got to wear a sash. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Where did the term sash queen come from, by the way? I think Have you ever heard that, Mr. Marcus? Uh, yeah. And sometimes it's used in a derogatory way, and uh, sometimes it's not. So. Um, sometimes people say it jokingly and mm -hmm. in jest, but other times people use it as a derogatory term. Yeah, I don't know where it exactly came from. Marcus, you said Marcus used to say that all the time because it went with his. He would say "fag dad by the bay" and "sash queen," and he just put those things in his article all the time. Yeah. But you know, one of the other things that Race and I were talking about earlier was. In 1983, Coulter Thomas was IML, but Coulter decided that he could use his title to raise money for the AIDS Emergency Fund, which was here in San Francisco. And so from his example, title holders were expected to do that kind of work, but really it was local because we were all doing work for, for San Francisco and the Bay Area and the AIDS Emergency Fund. A lot of title holders are constantly raising money um, and charity. Is that where it began? And is that expected I, to this day? It's definitely expected. I'm not sure why it's expected. But, you know, then it was an AIDS thing and we were all mobilized around it. Right. So it made a lot of sense yes. for someone to say, we can do this and we can raise our own money. See, in being a board member of many AIDS organizations, uh, healthcare organizations, we used to be a lot of the recipients of that money. So, of course, we always thought that the contest, that was their sole purpose was that they were designed not only to reward and recognize, but to help the community. So given all the behind the scenes stuff, what do you think the purpose of the current contests are for the community? Like what should a, what should an audience member think? What I, I'm watching this because? Yeah, the younger generation coming <laughs> up. Do you think this is still relevant to them? <sighs> I think we should ask a younger audience. Yeah. <laughs> We've got two standing right there. <laughs> well, this is Joe. Hi. Showing up creepily on me. I think that it's still relevant to the community. I think that the, the reason that people do it's a bit different. There's a lot more like want to be infamous kind of mm -hmm. situations in the community. A lot of people, at least from my perspective, running for IML, you know, we're, what was it, 72 or 82? I need to double check the numbers. 
we were a bunch of people all running for one specific title and everyone came from a different place. Some people really wanted to do good and raise charity. Some people wanted to provide representation. And some people really just wanted to be able to post on social media that they ran for IML and they didn't want to get into the top 10. They didn't want to get to the finals. They just wanted to be there and do it. And and that's a valid reason because yes, it's, it's, it's an yeah. experience. It's a lot. It takes a lot it of does. power. So there is some that's just entertainment for the community. But I loved when you were Mr. Friendly, now Team Friendly, because it has such a great mission. It really does. They have a stated purpose for why, you know, that whole thing exists. Yeah. Every title or contest has a mission statement, right? No. No. Oh. <laughs> Where Team Friendly does. Well, right? Team Friendly just, they want you to run for the local stuff afterwards. And if you want to go to IML, you can go to IML. Like, hmm. if you have a title and someone's backing you, you can go to IML. You don't need to technically run for anything before you do it. Hmm. I think the purpose of contests is answered by the, the two words, it depends. It depends. Sure. <laughs> and it really does. Some yeah. contests have a mission statement sure. and a definitive reason why those title holders are trying to win that title and what the contest stands for. Others are pure fun. Yeah, which is good. Others are for charity, for nonprofit yeah. specifically. Some um, there are some that have sort of educational components. They expect you as a, a an experienced person in the community, as a title holder, to go out and educate people. So again, it depends, and there's no one right way. And the problem in my we talked about drama work comes up is when community holds every title holder to the highest standard of whatever they've decided the titles are supposed to be. Right. And that's where I think a lot of the drama comes out. And also, I wanted to slip this in there. Not all drama is bad. Sometimes oh. the drama happens for a really legitimate reason. But I do think that sometimes the community judges title holders very harshly based on what they think they're supposed to do. And maybe they're just supposed to have fun and be good, decent people out there with a title. I don't think it would appropriate so much if there wasn't drama. Cigar Pig, I have a question for you. So you worked for organizations who were recipients of, of the money. Of the money. Did it did you ever come across a situation where you needed to reject the money because it came from a leather contest or leather people? Very interesting question and talked about a lot at board meetings, never done. And the conversation always went that this is the community that we represent as healthcare providers. And it doesn't matter what they do because we're not here to judge them as people. You know, we're here, we're part of their community. We just have an unseen part. But the other thing I will tell you- And they like the money. And they need the money. <laughs> well, the one thing now after all these years, I feel bad because we would get checks. Usually, I will be honest, they were like $5,000 and that is a lot of money to do kind of stuff for volunteer services. And I would hate the thought that somebody spent 25,000 to do it. You know what I'm yeah. hearing here. However, our belief was they were leaders in the community and we wanted to represent, not only represent them, but support them. And secondly, that they were representatives that were bringing safety to the community. And you know, mostly like Team Friendly had a real specific mission, but others, we thought it was safety in sex practice, in play. You bring up a good point, though, and we always think of them as community leaders once yep. they have that yeah. title. And like you just said, some do more than others. Yeah. Do you think the ones who don't say somebody did this outstanding job, 
with their title one year and the next year you don't see the title holder at anything do you think that is fair to judge them against i I think that um it depends on what the title holder says they're going to do during their interview and when they're on stage because you know we've all been in an interview room where someone is saying you know i'm doing this and that I miss this, I'm going to raise money, I'm going to build bridges over to Alameda, I'm going to do all these things that will... All the way to Alameda. All the way to Alameda. And, and they don't do it. And so people sit there and they think, well, you said you were going to do these things, but you're not doing it. So if that's not what you're going to do, don't say that you're going to do it. If you just want to be pretty on a poster, that's great. Get on stage and say, I am gorgeous and I'll be on your poster. And then we'll decide if we're going to give you that title. So I'm all for that. Me too. Because I think that purpose brings visibility to our community, to people who aren't aware of our community at all. And I do think that's an important part. Worse yet, though, is people who run for a title and they fill out, because you have to fill out an application. It's like running for a job. There's an application, you answer questions usually. Um, worse yet is people will fill out an entire application, pages of things, and you will always get judged on that application. So when a judge asks you, oh, well, tell me about this specific thing and involvement that you've done, and if they can't speak on that, because I've judged a number of people that will put things on their application and then you ask them questions about it and they're like, uh, uh, like have no answer. Like if you're, if you're talking about being involved in the community, tell us about how you're involved. If, if you say that you want to be one of the best like BDSM educators out there and then I ask you what BDSM stands for, no joke, and they didn't know what BDSM stood for, yeah, that's a question. That's a, you got like it's not. We're not here to judge you and like gotcha. But like, if you put something on, on an application, it's fair game. So it's like you were judging George Santos when he was in his drag queen competitions and couldn't answer anything. Next question. To speak to that, um, people do fill out an application. Very often, they work really hard to to expand on that resume, mm -hmm. if you will, prior to the contest. And I'm not always sure that's a great thing. Yeah. Sometimes I just want a decent human being that wants to win the title and do one good thing or not, or whatever they decide to do, what the producer says you should do, and they should have that right. The other thing is that a lot of people have, I'm gonna use a word I don't use very often, privilege sure. around money and ability to do things yeah, and all lots of leather. And so people who don't have that should have just as much of an opportunity to run for a title, but very often they don't have that long resume for legitimate reasons. And that was one of the things I was trying to get at, was that a lot of times uh, people who win a title can't show up at every event, right. just not physically, but they get dragged through the mud for not yep. being wow. there, not being active, not being there. It's, we have to also remember they're also humans with their own lives. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're not just representing us all the time, 24 seven, any time we want them. Right. Yeah, you have a title holder here with lots of money who's maybe doesn't have to work, has lots of free time, of course they can show up at a lot of things. You have somebody else here who's working two jobs, not highly paid, barely paying the bills, and very often this person is held to the same standard as this person, and that's not right. You know, when, when we would receive money or we had con, you know contest winners or that organization contact us, when we wanted to focus on a community that was a certain problem, like when black tar heroin was going around, and we would contact that person who did us. So by them coming forward, they automatically got, well, we got to call so-and-so because we know they're in this specific community. Remember, you know, they raised this money for us. So there's an interesting back and forth um, 
with that visibility that I think is critical. Oh, and I've had judges reach out to me saying, hey, has this person actually done this thing that they said that they did? Yeah. So don't lie about it either, because right? Right. that's obviously oh, just That nervous. is great. So let's get into judging. judging. <laughs> <laughs> who's who's been a judge at a contest? Raise their hand. Now, all of you guys have nothing. You've never judged? No, well. <laughs> Officially, you've been in the audience with me. Do I judge? Well, that is the closest I've gotten is being a judge at a contest, and I love it. But can we just say it's subjective? Oh, it's so it's, it's so subjective because you get you know nine people in a room from all walks of life and they all have different standards. I mean, even even down to the way a person dresses. I've had. Um, when I look at someone and they come into an interview, I want them wearing their own shit. I don't care, you know, how it looks. I don't care about any of that, but I want to know that this is what they wear. But so, what if they got the perfect outfit and shined it up and it Then I think it's brand new and I think they're brand new. But that's your opinion. No, you can tell if boots are brand new. Don't yeah. don't buy a pair of boots right before and like you should wear the things that make you, you comfortable. Wear, yeah. If you look uncomfortable, like, people can tell. There was a time Back in the day, to use a Graylandism, <laughs> where I would look at a contestant's boots, and if they were looked like they were brand new and not played in, I'd, uh, it would it, I was biased. I admit it. I was like, are they a player or not? And I would have to probe more to decide are they really a player or not. And every judge comes to a competition with a bias and a bunch of biases. Of course. And so you have, let's say, nine judges, and somebody wins. Replace those nine judges with. Nine other judges, somebody else might have won. It's entirely subjective in that sense. Do you also feel like, especially regionally, things can get clickish? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, I mean, so for instance, you, you're, you're, you're all my friends, right? And, and people might say we're a click, but if the four of us are judging a contest, we're going to come up with different things and oh, different yeah. criteria, although we are we could be considered a clique. Yeah. So I think it depends on who the person is. If none of us have heard of someone, then chances are they haven't done anything at all. I mean, I call race all the time and I'm like, do you know this person? Who's that person? He does that to me too. And if we don't know them, they're brand new or they're not they <laughs> haven't done or you don't know yeah it's not necessarily true <laughs> not necessarily true okay everybody talks everybody talks and if you've done something good or bad people know if they probably talk to other people in the community so we also have different contests now. I'll, I'll use the example of the rubber contests. Yeah. I don't know the rubber scene nearly as well as I know the leather and BDSM and other, other aspects of the scene. So there's people that may be very high profile in that subset, and I don't know who they are. There might be people in the pup community. They might have a pup title of some sort. I may not know who that person is. I know leather's supposed to be this big umbrella, but it's such a freaking big umbrella now that I can't possibly know everybody. It's incredible. Who chooses the judges? What's the criteria to pick a judge? Oh. I have a question. How important is social media to being a title holder? Oh my god. And it wasn't this brought up. So you guys were all on a panel about this very topic about five years ago on LDG, which got very heated. That is not what I said. No, no, I said no, I was talking about the year. Okay. This bitch!
complete. <laughs> 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 there may have been some personalities there that clashed. Yes. Um, Just like title holders. Yeah. And I think one of the things that it came out was have social media. Um, what what do contestants need? Uh, what should they be prepared for? And um, so. I have a lot of followers on Instagram, so I don't think I should answer this question. I believe that today, if you're a title holder and the producer wants you to have a very high profile, you have to not only have enough social media in your in your quiver, <laughs> but, and, but you need to know how to use it. Yeah. And I think that's incumbent upon a title holder today to know how to use social media to not only promote themselves as a, as a title, but whatever the producers decided is the mission, if you will, of that title, if there is some. And without social media today, you're uh, not gonna be seen or known. Right. I mean, there's people on, there are title holders who are on social media now that I've never met in person, but I know who they are, I read Through their, their Instagram. Yeah, their Instagram, they look great. So, you know, I'm looking at their photos and all of that. And so, but I feel like I know them. But I've never met these people in person, but I know that they're doing things. So if I were judging a contest and I were to see that person, I could say, oh yeah, he writes this, this is how he feels. So I get a feel for that person and it helps me be able to judge them in a contest. Speaking of that and attractiveness, uh, how many times have you been at the contest and the prettiest guy on stage didn't win? And the audience was very disappointed, but they didn't see what went on behind the scenes. I've seen that many times, many, many, many times. The, in the judging process, for those that aren't familiar with it, much of it is the interview. And the interview is usually weighted heavily in most contests. So that's the part the, con the, the audience doesn't see. Right, right. And so it goes into the scoring. So they just see the, the, the pretty stuff on stage. And if that pretty person didn't interview well, they're probably not going to win. But you know, as an audience member, when the pretty one does win, a lot of times people are like, God, you know, he didn't do as much. Why does looks matter so much? I thought this was about the community. I can tell you a lot of audience. So mm -hmm. it's a two-edged sword. It, it, it goes each way. One of the things I think we should acknowledge is that the way we look at beauty, with what we consider sexy, who we consider sexy, body types, you name it, has expanded dramatically. Oh. And while we're talking about judging, can I ask a question? Why does it take tally masters so long to add up a score? Isn't it just numbers? Isn't it just like oh, one, two, three, four, five? <laughs> it's always a different system. Sometimes it's there's bugs in the system. The system. Do you want to explain that, please? So um, the tally masters, which are the people at the contest, usually at least two, sometimes two, yeah. usually two, because um, they want to double check each other's work. Um, they're the ones who crunch all the judges' numbers and say this is the person who won based on the numbers. Back in the day, <laughs> um, it was done with pencil and paper. Sure. And it took a long time. Calculator or not. Yes. <laughs> you know, so it took a long time. I was at one particular contest where it took 45 minutes to tally at the end. And I was the head judge for that contest. And I kept going, you're done, you're done. Now, most contests use a spreadsheet system. It's actually a spreadsheet that gets passed around amongst some contests. And you plug in the numbers, go boom, and then usually the other tally master will double check that, and you can usually have the results very quickly. Well, I have a question. Talking about the, the interview process, and Amp, you might answer this too. 
I question whether or not the interview process is fair. Because if you're judging 50, 60, 70, or 80 people by contestant number nine, yeah. you're judging and you're bored. Unless contestant number nine has something really dynamic to say, you you know, you're thinking about other things now, and I just wonder, is that fair? Plus, you have like eight minutes or seven minutes for a room full of judges to get to know one particular person. And I don't know, personally, I just, I don't think that's, I don't think it's fair. I don't mm. think it's fair that, you know, you have these judges who are really tired looking at person after person after person. Person number 56 is not gonna get, get the same reaction as person number two. So I know for IML at least, which again, over 70 people that I was competing against for one title, um, I was probably like within the 40s to 50s of interviewers or interviewees. And I know because we all talked afterwards too, that a bunch of people got so much better questions to answer than I did. I got a question of like, because I liked costumes and, and liked making things. Someone's like, well, what's your superhero if you could make a costume for any superhero? Which allows me to tell you nothing about activism, the education that I do, like the, the, the fundraising I've done. But then I know for a fact that some of the people who did very, very well got questions about their gender identity and how it's incorporated and the activism that they've done for like HIV because they're HIV positive and like, I would have loved nice questions like that, but because one guy looked at my Instagram and was like, oh, this guy does a lot of costuming and like fun, colorful things, I'm gonna ask him that. Which, am I am I bitter about it? No, but I was like, well, that's that sucks. I wish I would have gotten a better question well, for my four minutes that I had with all the judges. But that lack of consistency makes the subjectiveness even higher yep, if it's right. not the same question for everyone. You don't want to ask the same question to 70-something people, so, though. No, <laughs> that's what Graylin was saying, is judges get tired. I think it's flawed. And judges always have their winners already kind of in mind. I, as much as you say you don't, there's gonna be a bias for a, a group of people that you see yeah. from the get-go that you're like, I really like that person. I'm gonna give yeah. them a bit more of my attention, Absolutely. my time, my I believe that. And some judges, I'm not gonna say which judge or what contest, but I turned to the judge next to me and said, you're asking all these historical questions in our scene about leather I don't know the answer to half of what you're, you know, I'm pretty connected. And he goes, oh, I don't expect them to know. I just want to see how they handle it when they don't know. Oh my God. And then there's that whole like, where you expect the contestant to say, oh, I don't have that answer right now, but I'll go get that uh. answer and I'll come back and tell you when you're no longer thinking about it at all. And now you're irritated with me because I'm walking up to you and answering a question that you asked five hours ago. Right. And Raylan, are you better? Can I ask, do the judges ever try to convince other judges to go their way? Oh, yes. yes. Really? Okay, yes. So oh, oh, I, oh my God. Really? Yes. Like, yes. they're doing, like, they're yes. of trying to get somebody. Oh, that's yes. not a so, And then that's where the drama will come from, because oh, if the yes. contestants Absolutely. get wind of that, then they're going to well, think this goes, is rigged. And Well, that goes to what Amp said. So if somebody has a real Jones for somebody, and they're going to go, you know, hey, no, Mr. Look, he's much better. But does that happen? Oh, yes, absolutely. Ah, absolutely. But so does yeah, so does the political climate of of the world like absolutely helps to bolster up other people whose activism is important for that time. And there's nothing wrong with that, but sometimes you're going to come to a contest not being the best suited person from the get-go, and you just kind of have to be okay with that because again, don't run for a contest because you need to win. Exactly. Run for a contest because you want to grow and learn and be involved in the community. Because yep. when you run for a contest and you lose, which happens, 
and then you just disappear from the community, it doesn't look good on you, personally. Personally, that's my well, own take. So do, do you think, with all the, the this back and forth <laughs> and stuff, and, and now our events are built around contests, so we're talking about IML, MAL, Claw, surprisingly, doesn't isn't around a contest. No. So that was unusual. It is not around a contest. However, if you go to Claw in Cleveland, you will see every title holder to just about that's about to compete at IML a month later because they want to be seen. So it becomes it may not have a contest, but it is chock full of, con it's, of it's, it's title holders. It's yeah. oh, yeah. a to shake the hands of the judges. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. and and be seen. One of the things I wanted to point out, you had mentioned something about leaders, and there is an assumption by many that contests pick leaders, mm -hmm. and I don't think that's true. I think some become leaders, but I always say to people, in, in what part of the world do you pick a leader based on walking across a stage in a jockstrap? <laughs> you know, I wish I, we did. I <laughs> wish, maybe not, you know. What, so, what I, so I don't think that the contest system is to pick leaders. Some do become leaders, but I think that there's a mistaken assumption that by default, that person, because they won a title, is automatically a leader, and I don't think that's true. But you know, there were some local titles here in San Francisco, um, and one of my favorites was San Francisco Leather Daddy, and the men who ran for that title were expected to basically watch over the leather community here locally. And the See, leather well, daddies watched over the leather boys. Um, you know, I could be at the Eagle and I was considered a boy and I, I responded to those men. And I think that that's something that was relevant here, but they didn't have to go on to compete at an IML. They were based here, they were local here, and I love local titles being in various communities where the person doesn't have to worry about running for something else. He can just stay there and do his thing there in his community and let that be that. That's great. Uh, so I, I, I still wanna get back to people coming into the community today. Do they, are, how are we doing with being inclusive? Um, I know that IML has had two trans men as mm -hmm. uh, Mr. IML, um, which was way ahead of the curve. Mm -hmm. uh, one was in a wheelchair. How did he do? You know, I, I think he got a I think he got a bad a bad rep because mm -hmm. you know he was expected to do so many things, but because you know he's a trans man. Um, he was expected by the trans community to to promote that aspect of it. He's in a wheelchair. He's expected to do that. So, you know, his intersectionality, he was expected to do everything and be everything to everyone. And I just think that he had a bad rep with that. You know, Jack was the um, most recent one who's a, a black trans man. Right. And same thing, you know, the black community was there saying, well, you know, you're not being black enough. You know, you're not being trans enough. You're not being this enough. You're not being that enough. But you know, in the end, he was just Jack, and I and I think he did a great job. And I'm very proud of just Jack. Good, just, just Jack. Just Jack. <laughs> Top of like, again, political climate for for him was so tough because it was during all of the trans-related issues and politics, and it's a lot of work. It's a lot. And of everyone work. judges you, even. Yeah. Not just the judges. Yes, everybody judges title. <laughs> and no one really says thank you. 
And nobody knows a thankless job, right? Yes, absolutely. You know, that's a really good point. It, is. <laughs> it really is. I have, I could probably count on one hand when a community member went to a title and said, thank you for what you do. I really appreciate that. You're, that's a very good point. And mm -hmm. we should be thanking them, especially when they go out and do good shit. You're right. Now, a couple of years ago, there was, I don't know if they're a millennial, but a younger generation, uh, taped the MAL contest, put it on YouTube, and critiqued it minute by minute. We're about an hour and 55 minutes into the contest. Let's just round it up to two hours to make this easy. So in that two hours, we have seen the contestants a total of 25 minutes. And the critique was a little harsh and um, was like, there was 10 and a half minutes explaining who the judges were. Mm -hmm. There was a, do you think contests run long, can get boring? Are they here to entertain us? How do we feel about this? I watched that video. Yeah. Um, I I liked that video. I don't agree with everything in the video, but it was done by a younger person who was doing very educational content on YouTube for the community. And it was pretty much just saying like, why are they why are they this long? Why are we doing these segments? Why are we doing all of this? And while it was harsh, there is a way in which you can criticize, be a part of the community and do it respectfully. I don't think it was disrespectful because it was like People want to go to your contest, but the biggest critique I get from people that say go to IML is that the contest isn't fun. Right. Like going to MIR, for instance, we love going to I was MIR just about to say that. MIR is probably the funnest contest I've been to and because of the entertainment. And it's run by a theater director, so there's a lot of entertainment in it. Um, well, the drummer contest was like that. Drummer too. contest there was, was also like that. There was an opening dance number. Yes, and yeah. MIR also has an opening Back dance number. Dance numbers. <laughs> yes. But you know, I mean, it's a it's a great point because if if one person put that on video, he's just saying what all the other all the rest of us were thinking, thinking yes. and hadn't yet said. I personally don't understand why you read the judges' bios at a contest. It's in the program. Oh, it's right. someplace else. Just say, hey. This is Race Bannon. He's Master Race. And oh, no, 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 Even though he was, his title was Master, wasn't it? Right, yeah, it was, but don't say that. That's his title. That's his title. If you were a judge, put it to one sentence, if that. Put the whole thing that you want in the brochure, great. Just a sentence, that's all you need. People yeah. want to know your name, who you are, where you're from, maybe that's it. Just leave it there. That's it. And you know what, I was at a contest and they put the photo of every judge with a little mini bio on these massive screens on two big walls and they played the whole contest along with the contestants. It was great. Yeah. You know, everybody could see it and really Read learn it, yeah. about those people rather than somebody rattling off a bunch of words and everybody's kind of MC going like this in the audience. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like no, no offense to MCs who have a huge job in these contests, yeah. but pre-tape some of that, please. Let's talk about MCs. <laughs> um, so then let's, let's circle back to the drama. So we currently have a drama happening right now with IML and mm -hmm. the bootblacks all walking out. Can you explain that? So I'm going to upfront say that I only know a little bit about it. Right, because it's just happening it right just now. Happening so now. it may have changed by the time this airs. They could have figured it all out by the time this does air. Right. But my understanding is that they're the group of people that organize the IMBB, that's International 
Mr. Mr. Bootblack, which is a co-title with IML. Um, we're very upset with a particular person on the board, mm -hmm. and they were claiming, to the best of my knowledge, transphobia primarily. And, we, and go which ahead. Which, if we know, a lot of the boot blacks are trans men and trans people who have come in, yeah. literally at our feet, yep. and, <laughs> and gaining acceptance in the community. And, and throughout the entire scene. Right. Yeah. And so my understanding is that they all quit, and they quit because of that. Mm -hmm. This is my understanding, if I hope I'm saying it right. And they are awaiting the IML organization to respond, respond in some way. Which they haven't as of. As of, we haven't checked our phones. So <laughs> <laughs> they could have. Um, and I think that it's. You know, I, again, I don't know. It's their it's their issue in the sense that they know the inside scoop sure. of all this stuff. But I think they have every right to say, you know, you are not representing and treating our people equally, if that's their perception. And they have a right to say, because of that, we don't want anything to do with it because you're not treating these people respectfully. And that's my understanding of what's going on. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, no, it's just going to say when you guys were talking about all the drama behind the scenes, I, I don't want to sound, but I think that even though it's not a great thing, it's kind of a normal thing that happens yes. in the evolution of organizations. Accountability is important. Yeah. And you're a title holder. If you don't know how to work PR personally, you're going to have a hard time right. if you slip up. You know? And the yeah. participants are the whole reason for it. And if they have this big issue, it's and, a reason to bring it up. And if we are a community that stands for what we say we right. are, we are supposed to push people forward that may not have had the privilege of being pushed forward before. Right. And, and respect them and treat them equally in every way, shape, and form. So. I agree with you. It's normal. It's part of the messiness of community. So we're going to see how the leadership is that they deal with it. Because what you were saying earlier, you know, storming, forming, norming, and forming are what happens in any group, any group process. Say that again. Storming, forming, and norming okay, I'm is gonna what use happens that. in any group. <laughs> well, listen, it's researched a lot. It's any group process where any group of people who are trying to achieve something, first, they all come with their agenda, so they storm. Mm -hmm. And then they form and they say, okay, I can contribute in this or I can go back on that. And then they form whatever's going to be the process. And what I've heard from you guys is this has happened year after oh, yeah. year, oh, yeah. decade. And now it's happening. So I challenge whoever is that leadership, how they deal with this is going to really reflect on their leadership. So I think this situation is what you were talking about, drama being not necessarily a bad thing, right? Right. So they're speaking up. How do we think IML is going to respond to this, if at all? I mean, they have to respond to it because yeah. they've always had it. I am BB. Not well, always. No, not they, always. They, it's yeah. actually kind of relatively yeah. new, right? Yeah. yeah. They haven't always had it, but you know, I can't really speak for IML. But one of my wishes that will come out of this is that the people who are boot blacks will will be honored for their work. And I think that that can happen if they have their own contest and their own weekend with their own workshops. That way we can go and support them and be part of their weekend instead of them being part of someone else's weekend. I'm much more likely to go to an all boot black weekend because that's not that something I yeah, know. Exactly. I do there's, there's, yeah. you know, you could learn boot and leather care, boot and leather sex, cigar and boot sex, all of that can, can be 
had at one event specifically surrounding boot blacks. And I would love for that to happen yeah. instead of them, you know, relying on others. Now, I'm not a boot black, so I'm not going to do that myself, but I think that there are enough smart boot blacks who participate and who've done these things to get together and say, we could do this ourselves. Fuck IML. <laughs> and, and, and I agree with you. We can't speak for IML. Right. Um, they, I, I know all of those people, well, most of them, not all of them, and all the ones I do know, I like, and I think they're, they're decent human beings, and hopefully they tussle with this. Sure. They go behind closed doors and they wrestle with this and figure out how they're going to, you know, address this, and I hope they address it in a positive way. I don't know what that outcome's going to be, though. Well, if they don't, it's going to live on. And that's what community does. Yep. So, and that's why we have these salons. <laughs> so we can discuss these things. I'll know open and not be canceled for it. <laughs> it's important to, as a community member, like allow space for people to grow. Like obviously hold people accountable. But as a community, like these title holders and these contests exist so that we can have these important conversations, not to condemn everyone for not right. being perfect, but to allow them space to grow as people and step up to the plate to make this community a better place. And I think too often we get we get bogged down in the drama and the problems, and rather than try to focus on the solution, we focus on the issue, and we completely forget how a community is supposed to work. Right. Well said. And with that, I think I'm gonna call time. Okay. I think we've covered this unless anyone has, I actually have one last question. Okay. Would you run for a title again today if you had never won one before? No. Mm. At 62 years old? <laughs> sure. No. <laughs> well, would you run for a title? I don't know. You're kind of a title, right. though, already. Yeah, you're don't give him that. No, 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 no. We're calling time. We've called time. I am a show pony, so yeah, I could, I could see. You know, that could be a, a whole title of Mr. Christopher. Right. Oh, okay. <laughs> no. okay. You know what? You know what? So let me say one thing, though, that one of the things that I get, and this is related. Sure. Very often somebody, especially a newcomer, will come to me and say, I want to do something important in the community, so I'm going to run for a title. Right. And you don't say, have to. You don't have to. You don't have to. That's why I never please did Please don't. Right. <laughs> please do no. something that makes it do worth you to get a title. The yes. title yes. should be secondary. Yeah. 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 To that, like, people will always, at least when I was running for stuff, people were like, I want to do what you do. You don't want to get a title. And it was like, I didn't have a title. I did I did the YouTube content and, and other things in the community because I wanted to. Yeah. You don't need a title to do a damn thing. They definitely help, but you don't need a title to do anything. And while it is a thankless job, just do what you want to do in the community and be a positive influence. Yeah. In fact, how about as a positive influence, we end with thanking all the title holders. I think that this is a very legitimate thing that you just said because very often we do get hung up in the drama and the negative around titles because that's what people churn about but we don't thank the people that are title holders that do really good shit in the yeah, community. Exactly. Or are just really decent representative people of the scene. They may not do anything grandiose necessarily, but they're really good people and they're people we can point to and go, that's a good kingster, that's a good leather person. But see, that's why I brought up them giving us money that I am not in this circle or this um, click of the contests at all. Because I'll tell you, most people believe that and when they come and do it, they should get recognition for it. All the drama happens in everything. Yeah. So with that, we're going to end the show, but let's end the show with thanking the former title holders yes. that have come before us. 
Especially Thank you, you Raylan. You and Ray. Thank you very so, much. And for, you're welcome. And you're welcome. <laughs> you know, don't ever say that again. Don't ever say that again. However, can you please put on your sash so we can oh, see what God. that looks like? Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. You have my put on your sash. I'll help him put it on. Sash. Oh, my sash. God. Sash. 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 Does it still fit? Does it still fit? I'll make it again. I gained weight. Have you ever used that sash in a scene? Oh, that's a whole other. That's a. Whole, oh, that's a whole other thing. I know the sack. Well, well, I didn't want to bring it up. But. Well, I, you know, I might flag a, you know, a hanky that says, you know, sash fucker or sash. Fucker. <laughs> Wait, what color is that? Sash. Huh? What color is, is that? Is it gold lame or silver lame? Star fucker. Don't forget to ring that bell. Leave comments down below. Uh, subscribe to this channel and tell all your friends. Go to onguardsalon.com and subscribe. Boom. Thank, Thank you, title holders. And we'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Quick update, because we told you we'd give you an update on the IMDb debacle. So here's what we know so far. We taped this about four weeks ago. On January 30th, IML came out with a statement addressing IMDb not being part of IML and giving kind of a new format of directors. The very next day, February 1st, they amended this statement to say, they, well, they shouldn't have said some of those things and here's what's really happening. In that, they also said Bearman resigned Bearman had resigned and Bill Statt was stepping back from the board, but would remain the executive director. Right. And then we didn't hear much for about two weeks until February 17th when we got another resignation letter. Yeah, that was um, Gary Wasden had accepted a temporary appointment to the uh, IML operations group along with Billy Lane. And he said in his resignation letter that he realized that he just does not have the bandwidth to do that justice. And so he has resigned from that um, appointment. So to recap, looks like IML will take place because there was some time where it is uncertain. Yep. Uh, Bearman seems to have been a lightning rod. Of his own admission. Yeah, from, yes, in his yeah. own resignation. We didn't so I think a lot of that was to appease IMDb and what was going on. Um, but how do you think it's going to be going forward? There is kind of a lack of transparency, and we don't know who the board of directors is at this time. Well, I, I think all those decisions need to be made by the boot blacks themselves. We're giving IML just way too much credit. You know, the boot and blacks and power. Yeah. The boot blacks could, should have their own demands and let IML step up to the plate. If IML doesn't step up to the plate, then the boot blacks can find other sources for their contests. You know, International Ms. Leather does what the boot blacks are asking IML to do. They give their contests. Uh, title holders equal billing, whether they're International Ms. Leather or International Ms. Boot Black. Has it always been that way? Yeah, as far, yeah. As, far as I know, yes. Okay. yes. Once they established a Boot Black title, yeah. they gave them equal billing. So there seems to be a nice symmetry there where yeah. this does not seem to have a nice symmetry between IML and IMDB. Absolutely. Yeah, and it will be interesting to see. We know IML is going forward. Um, it will be interesting if the 
IML organization does reach out to the IMBB people and negotiate with them. And then we do have a contest next year. We don't, you know, no, we don't know, or the following year. Um, we don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. I hope that happens. I hope, but if not, I hope that the IMBB people create their own thing, either standalone or they could find another organization. I don't know how it would work, but I think that if they want to, um, as they should, have their own limelight, they should create it in whatever way is appropriate for them. Right, and I think that's normal. You know, in the queer community, we are self-governed organizations. And one thing that's well-researched is organizational change. And what I think people, if you think about it in terms of the life cycle, we all go through infancy, childhood, adulthood. And as we age in a very loving way, I would say there is senility. So the research life cycle, if you see here these two circles, when you're on the circle and you're getting to the point of adulthood or chaos, getting to senility, like what's happening now, if they make the leap and understand, even though this is inconvenient, it is not pleasant or fun, it's time to really regroup, like everyone's saying, and to understand, you know, we have to go back to infancy and then adolescence to get back to adulthood. If they do not, or we do not have this leap happen, organizations tend to just fizzle away. And that's across all organizations. I've worked with so many big organizations, especially the long-standing ones, right. it happens to everybody. Yeah. To everyone, business, to, and ours being self-governed. Us just having that awareness, you know? This is not unusual. Like I say, it's inconvenient, but it's not unusual. You know, there are Blue Black events that are happening now. Um, there's Blue Black Roundup, which is happening in October. So Blue Blacks are getting together and doing their own events. So thank you guys for tuning in. I know that was a lot, and you heard it here first. The pig has just called us all senior. <laughs> at some point. Not today, but at some point. <laughs> thank you for watching. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>